It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines, a panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley, from our San Diego studios. It's time for Hacksaw's Headlines and our podcast as we go towards a great sports weekend. John, football, front and center conversation everywhere I go, but a ton of other stories to talk about, too. Uh, yeah, you shared with me Hacksaw's Headlines, and the list is long. We got so much going. I could see your notes. Right there, you've got a lot of data to share. Let's start with NFL playoff games come Sunday. What a great championship weekend we had ahead of us! The best of the best are still playing. Yeah, it's going to be great. I mean, there, like we said last week, there are no Cinderellas. Every one of these final four teams are heavyweights in their own right, so it's going to be you know mano y mano. So, and I will tell you this: I guess we can use the phrase "changing of the guard." All the superstar quarterbacks of yesteryear are no longer playing. The four quarterbacks are the four young guns in the National Football League. They're going to play on Sunday. So I think the baton has officially been passed. Right. Yeah, no Brady, no Roethlisberger, you know, so it's a new era. Okay, on we go. Let's start with Kansas City and Cincinnati. This is going to be something at Arrowhead Stadium. I'm going to use two words to describe what I think is going to happen on Sunday. Star Wars. I got to believe this is going to be a throwing contest between Joe Cool and Patrick Mahomes. Joe Burrow's red hot. Mahomes appears healthy. He's practiced each day this week and on the field has shown no signs, no limp at all coming off the high ankle sprain. I, I think, John, the big issue here is going to be, will Kansas City be a pocket passing offense because they don't want Mahomes moving side to side, scrambling, running, and risk getting hurt again. And if it is a pocket-passing offense, does that mean Kansas City loses some of the chunk plays they would have down the field when Mahomes would create while he was on the run, on the rollout, by design or by escapability? That's a storyline to keep an eye on. In terms of Joe Burrow, All bullets in the gun. Three wide receivers. The tight end has now evolved the second half of the season into the offense. Hayden Hurst to complement what they're getting from Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. And from the third receiver, Taj Boyd. Joe Mixon had an odd, good game, 105-yard game last weekend. So the Bengals are hitting on all cylinders. So there are questions now about what you do to stop the other guy. Cincinnati. If they believe that Mahomes has to be stationary, John, do they blitz him? Do they try to get in his face? Do they try to bust his rhythm? Because he can't break containment. They don't want him running. So does Cincinnati do that? Does Cincinnati double Travis Kelsey and just challenge Kansas City? We're taking the tight end out of your offense. If you think you can beat us with Juju Schuster-Smith and Marcus Scantling, good luck to you. Does that happen? The flip side, Chris Jones has just become a monster. Second half of the season, the Chiefs Pro Bowl defensive tackle is also doing it at a defensive end. And now you got him and you got Frank Clark on both ends. Are they going to disrupt 
Joe Burrow's rhythm because these guys have penetrated in each of the playoff games Kansas City has played. They've made a difference. I think the other piece of the equation, does Kansas City do defensively to the three backup linemen in Cincinnati that Buffalo didn't do last week, which was send people, Mm -hmm. scrape them, jump gaps, do twists, confuse these backup street free agents that have to start because of the injuries in the Cincinnati offensive line. So there's a lot of chess pieces that we're going to have to watch and see how they move on the board and on the field on Sunday. I think it's going to be a fabulous game. Joe Burrow is 5-1 and one in the playoffs in his young career. How cool is that, Joe Cool? And Patrick <laughs> Mahomes is 0-3 against the Bengals in his career. Mm. Mahomes is 79-13. and 13. Three of the losses have been to Cincinnati, which is kind of a, a real a strange statistic. I think it's going to be a fun game. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be terrific. I mean, you, all those years you were broadcasting for the Chargers, you, you, you would go into Kansas City, into Arrowhead. Uh, I mean, that's a tough place to play on the road. It is an insane asylum. The noise level is through the roof. Um, obviously, Burrow now has all this experience. And by the way, Cincinnati did win there a year ago. So I don't think they're intimidated by the crowd noise. But it's just it's a festive affair before the game. It's like a war zone during the game. Uh, I, I just I think these two teams are carbon copies of each other. They both got vibrant offenses, and they both they win on mismatches. and And you got Zach Taylor, who's evolved into a pretty good head coach, and you got Andy Reid, who's the mastermind of X's and O's. Um, I, I just think it's it's going to be a dazzling game. I. Not going to put you on the spot, but who's going to win? <laughs> yeah, Bengals. The Bengals are going to roll into Kansas City and knock them off. Okay, you'll be buying me breakfast at Einstein's Bagels because I think <laughs> I'm going to go with Kansas City uh, with a, a fairly healthy Mahomes. I just think there's way too many weapons, and you got Andy Reid, which I think is is a, a key factor here. Okay, that's AFC. Let's talk about the guys on the other street corner of the NFC. Yeah, this this is another classic matchup. But these these two teams both were so dominant all the way through the season. Jalen Hurts is feeling a lot better. His throwing arm is in better condition, right? They are. Uh, as I use the word Star Wars to describe Cincinnati, Kansas City, I'll use this one trench warfare to describe Philadelphia home with San Francisco. Uh, the Eagles with Jalen Hurts at quarterback this season are 14-1. and one. You saw what they did. They destroyed the New York Giants last week. Philadelphia is healthy in the offensive front. The quarterback is much healthier than he's been. They got A.J. Brown. They got Devontae Smith, who make Boku plays down the field. Last week, three running backs combined for 268 on the ground. Pound, pound, pound. Philadelphia just looks superb offensively. San Francisco, you can't argue with a 12-game winning streak, and you can't argue with Brock Purdy being 7-0, a 17-touchdown, four-interception ratio throwing the football. But that being said, Christian McCaffrey's got a bruised calf, did not practice for two of the three full practices. Debo Samuel's got an ankle and a knee. He sat out practices. Now, they say they're good to go. How far can they go in the game? I think that's a big question. Uh, Defenses, Philadelphia, 75 sacks now, 35 takeaways. Fletcher Cox and friends up front. 
really active linebackers, ball hawks in the secondary. San Francisco, just relentless defensively. And those two linebackers, led by Fred Warner, the San Diegan, they are phenomenally fast, and they cover sideline to sideline. And they're one of the few linebackers I see that can do the doggone thing in coverage. Most linebackers struggle with speed and coverage, not the Niner guys. And then you got Jimmy Ward and a whole bunch of posse on the back end that are big-time hitters and are sure tacklers. This this is going to be, I just think, a superb football game. Uh, I, I I look at it and I say, these two teams, like the other game, they're carbon copies of each other. These these team, two teams are warriors mm-hmm. in the NFC. No place for the timid on Sunday. Okay. Your thoughts? My thoughts. A couple of weeks ago, remember I was kind of looking ahead and I said, it's going to be the third Bengals 49ers Super Bowl. Well, here we are again. They're both on the cusp. I, you know, I'm a Niners guy. That's where my heart is. I mean, my head is a little bit with the Eagles, but my heart's with the Niners. And I think they've got a good shot to go in there and, and upset them. I think that defense is is going to slow quarterbacks down. I think the defense will probably cause some takeaways uh, in the course of this game. Uh, field goals, I, th- I think, are going to be at a premium. If you've got a chance to get three, you better go get three because you never know what's going to happen uh, in the next possession. Uh, these two teams are just brute force strong. Um, what's my favorite phrase? Uh, cement tough defenses. Nice. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I don't think it's going to be wild. Uh, but... I'm picking San Francisco to win this game, even though this game is in Philadelphia and those Eagles with that quarterback are 14 and one. Uh, there is, there is a, a sidebar story here, though. Last week, I went back and reviewed the statistics. That is the worst statistical game Brock Purdy has had in the seven and0 start. Uh, his His completion percentage was down. His yards per pass were down. There were sacks. Now he didn't turn it over. But he didn't put him in the end zone either. Well, he's facing another really rugged defense in Philadelphia. That just that bears watching. I'm going to pick San Francisco to win in Philadelphia, and I think we're going to have a San Francisco-Kansas City Super Bowl. Okay. And we'll argue about that over bagels uh, next week. Uh, one other note, TV ratings. I don't know what anybody's doing Sunday, but the whole world's watching NFL playoffs. These TV numbers are staggering. Uh, what what they got this past week? Uh, you look at the Dallas Forty Nine er game, forty five point seven million viewers, and at one point, one hour they had fifty one million viewers watching in that specific hour. And of course, the other other playoff game, Cincinnati Buffalo, thirty seven one. That's pretty impressive. Uh, their ratings dropped off a little bit when it became apparent that Buffalo could not keep up with Cincinnati. But the TV ratings have just been staggering during postseason play. And I think I talked last week, John, of the 100 TV shows that you watch in your house, mm-hmm. 88 of them were NFL games. 88 of the top 100 television shows this past year were NFL football games. Yeah, not, not game shows, not movies, not drama, not Downton Abbey, not CNN news. <laughs> Eighty-eight of the top hundred, 
football is just it's just grabbed America by the throat. Oh, 100%. Because if you go look at, let's just say, cable news like CNN or MSNBC, I mean, they're lucky if they get 3 million views for one of their primetime news shows. Um, this is 10 times that, more than 10 times. Um, and then if you look at even some of the highest rated you know, season finales, like with MASH or Seinfeld, they're a little more than 57 million, but not much. So yeah, NFL football just dominates the ratings. Okay, one other uh, NFL topic. Let's talk about the coaching carousel here because things are starting to evolve and starting to change. Uh, Sean Payton, at this point in time, he's no longer the guy in Denver, which really surprises me. Mm -hmm. He was supposed to meet with them on Tuesday. They canceled the meeting. I don't know whether it was Denver canceled the meeting because of all the things that Sean Payton wanted or whether Sean Payton canceled the meeting because maybe he didn't like what he heard, or maybe he's not sold that Russell Wilson is the way out with no number one draft picks down road. Sean Payton is not the guy in Denver. Uh, Did interview in Carolina. That job closed this afternoon. They hired Frank Reich, Mm -hmm. the ex-Indianapolis Colts coach. I think that's a good hire. He was 40-33-1 in a tough situation where they had to rent quarterbacks, and some of those quarterbacks fell apart. Reich goes to Carolina, so Peyton's not going there. So that leaves him with Arizona, and it leaves him with Houston. I can't see anybody wanting to go to Houston, even though they're going to have the second pick in the draft. To work for that organization and all the problems they've got with player personnel, and you'd be under Nick Casario, the general manager, who still got the job, uh, so I don't know that Peyton is, is a candidate there, and that leaves you Arizona. And Arizona just hired a new general manager, and he's the one that's making the decision with uh, Michael Bidwell. And I don't know that Kyler Murray's the right quarterback for Sean Peyton because there's, there's, is Kyler Murray a student of the game? Is the injury health factor of Kyler Murray? And the size factor of Kyler Murray? And by the way, Arizona draft pick issue. So suddenly, instead of being the hot guy who's going to choose where he wants to go, I'm not sure he's going anywhere. My people tell me that Sean Payton is sitting and going to step away from this, go back and be a TV star on Fox for another year, and wait to determine what happens with Brandon Staley Chargers if they don't get to the playoffs next year or go a little bit deeper. I think Staley's out of there. What happens with the Chargers and what happens in Dallas with Mike McCarthy, who, despite being 30 and 20, you know, is Dallas playing this weekend? No. (laughs) And the other thing, Dallas just hit the eject button Thursday afternoon on six assistant coaches. They fired him. Wow. So big shake up there. So that's the latest. Peyton might be back on your TV telling you about games rather than coaching the games on TV. And maybe his decision is a year down road. Um, And there's another subplot story. Dan Quinn, who many thought was going to be the second guy in Denver if Peyton didn't take the job. Dan Quinn just stepped away. He's going to stay with the Dallas Cowboys. He's informed the three or four teams that he interviewed with. He's not leaving either. Denver could really be interesting because Denver has interviewed David Shaw, the former coach at Stanford, twice. Twice a week. And They've had one Zoom call, and I believe there will be another interview with D'Amico Ryans, the 49ers defensive coordinator, maybe on Monday. So one of those two guys might wind up being 
the guy that goes there. Not sure what Houston's going to do. Not sure what uh, Arizona's going to do. And Carolina has its head coach. So I threw a lot of data there on the table. Give me a response. <laughs> so if if Peyton, um, you know, maybe he's being very picky. And obviously these teams are being very picky about who they hire. But he can't be too picky. I mean, because if he goes back and, and just goes you know, back to Fox and is on TV, I mean, he's leaving a lot of money on the table. I mean, $15 million a year. He might be financially better off to take that Cardinals job, even though it's not an ideal situation. I think the thing that scares teams away, he wants $15 million, if not more, per year. Nobody's ever paid that money, that kind of money to a coach. He wanted to go where there was an established, fairly successful quarterback. Well, a bunch of these teams don't have that. Um, he wanted the right to be the decision maker, the man, which means not only is he coming in as coach and bringing his staff, he's bringing his posse of front office executives that would join him, which means you're moving general managers out of the job. And then there's the compensation of New Orleans. We want two number ones. Team and number one's gold standard to fix your franchise. You're going to mm-hmm. trade that away. So I there's so many checklist items here that I think maybe forcing teams to rethink mm. uh, from from the dollar thing to the front office thing to the draft pick compensation thing. Maybe that's why there has not been a firm offer yet. And maybe, as you say to John, maybe maybe he's asking way way too much. So that's that's where we are there. Uh as we get to the off season, once we get beyond the Super Bowl, we got to deal with the salary cap storylines and there's a couple of interesting storylines here with teams that we talk about, John. Yeah, I mean we're taking a look at these numbers. I mean, Chargers and Raiders have some big decisions to make. Chargers have no breathing room with a cap. Now, I find this rumor hard to buy into, but the rumor out on the street is the Chargers may release Keenan Allen. Now, he's still got really? a, lot of, a lot of gas left in the tank. But look at his cap figure next year, John. That's a phenomenal amount of money to tie up with one. And then, by the way, Mike Williams' cap figure is going to be $15 million. So now you're paying two guys, in essence, $37 million at wide receiver. Phenomenal. Now, maybe they go back and talk to Keenan Allen about restructuring down that contract because that's a, that's a hefty cap figure. They have praised Michael Davis, the cornerback, extensively, which to me is absurd because I don't think he stood out till some games this year. He's got a cap figure of 9.4, and I do think the offensive lineman, the left guard, Mike Filer, is going to be out of there because they get Rashawn Slater back at left tackle. And Jam Salyer, who played left tackle as a raw rookie and held up, didn't play great but held up, he's going to go inside and probably become their left guard. So they, they will have... Two established young tackles. They'll have two established young guards because Salyer played that well. So I think Filer is going to leave. And the Raiders, just just another item to check off on the <laughs> we are in trouble franchise list. Look at that. They got the five guys, $97 million of the salary cap committed to five players. Those are the top four of that group. And they gave Max Crosby a big contract extension. We know the price they paid to get Devontae Adams out of Green Bay and what they paid him. Darren Waller got a big contract. He earned it, but he was hurt all this past season. And the underrated left tackle, Colton Miller's got a big cap number. Boy, that's a significant amount of money. Now you can see why they had to get Derek Carr off the roster because mm-hmm. he was due to get $40 million this coming season. So the Raider, Raiders, once, once they move Derek Carr out of there, They'll have a little bit of breathing room, but boy, that's a lot of bucks for 
four or five players who, by the way, you didn't make the playoffs. You know, so we're, we were talking for a while about the MLB salary cap, and that is usually kicks in around what two thirty something, right? Well, the luxury—it's called luxury tax. Okay, don't say salary cap. The union will come in here and <laughs> turn the lights out. But what what is the salary cap in the NFL? Uh, the salary cap in the National Football League, I think, is going to go to this coming year. I think it's going to go from one eighty eight to maybe two hundred three million. It bumps up every year. But think about that. I mean, they've got to use a couple hundred million. We're throwing numbers around like it's nothing. But a couple hundred million for a roster of 55 guys plus your practice squad. I mean, it's and, that, and, it's, and that's still less money than what an MLB team will pay for a 26-man roster. Just funny how to do the math there. Well, you've got, you got the big numbers, numbers of players that you have to sign. And yeah. now the price tag on every player at every position has gone up. And, oh, yeah. and now quarterbacks saying $40 million for me per mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Challenging, but we'll we'll talk about the finances of the National Football League once once we get through. Uh, one other thing, speaking of money, wow, the bill came due for what he did. <laughs> yeah, I mean he just flipped out, like throwing his helmet like in the middle of the field, and it looks like he got zinged with a pretty hefty fine. Yeah, we're talking about Joey Bosa and the fact that he got back to back unsportsmanlike penalties and the horrible Charger loss to Jacksonville. Highlighted by him not using the King's best English while walking across the field <laughs> with referee Sean Smith and the, the double helmet toss. Although I'll say this, um, Bosa was totally out of control and he's wrong and you you got to control it. But Sean Smith, I think, stalked Joey Bosa. Bosa said something to him as he was coming off the field and he was furious. And as he walked towards the sidelines, Sean Smith trailed him and kept talking to him. Now, since when does a referee get involved in dialogue of that nature with a player and continue to walk with him towards the sidelines as if he was stalking him? Mm -hmm. And then Bosa took his helmet off and slammed it, and they picked it up and gave it to him. He slammed it again. So that's why he got the double on sportsmanlike uh, conduct penalties. But uh, does anybody anybody see what the referee did, Sean Smith did, in the Joey Bosa affair? But... He got docked fifty five thousand five hundred forty four dollars. That's okay. that's a significant bite out of your bi monthly paycheck. Yeah, I mean it's a lot, but you know he was rightfully upset because the offensive lineman for the Jaguars he you know had, him. yeah he, he well was there was motion. <laughs> I mean the refs made a bad call, and then the ref is like following the guy, stalking him, and we hate seeing that when the referees or umpires are making it about them rather than them being sort of a neutral arbiter. Yeah, I've never. Seen seen an official walk and chase the player as the player's going off. And that's what Sean Smith did. Big egos. And by the way, that right tackle not only flinched and moved, that right <laughs> tackle put chokehold number three on Bosa. So mm-hmm. they missed two calls mm. in, in that one given play. All right, before we go to baseball, let's tell all of our followers on live stream how they can uh, subscribe to watch and be, get the alerts about our podcast and then explain to them what we want them to do in the fans forum right at the end of this show. Okay, well, what we want you to do is get involved in the fans forum. So type in your questions or comments, your hot takes for Hacksaw, put them in the live stream chat in either Facebook or YouTube. We'll get you involved in the fans forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. And yeah, be sure to subscribe on our uh, YouTube channel, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Click on that bell. You get the alerts when we post new live streams and new video clips. And then by all means, be sure to subscribe uh, wherever 
wherever you get your podcasts. And by the way, no excuses accepted. If I spend all the time writing about all these stories on my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, you need to spend the time by reading my website each night or each morning. I guarantee you, you start to read it, you'll really, really like it. But let's move on. Major League Baseball. Yeah, it's gonna. this is going to be good because they just had the Hall of Fame vote, and there's always a lot of controversy about who deserves to be in. So let's take a look at those numbers. Only one guy got in. That guy was Scott Rowland, former Cardinal Reds, Phillies third baseman. He had come close. He had taken a jump each of the last group of years, and Scott Rowland got the 76% vote, 1% more than the minimum to get in. Rock solid at bat guy power-hitting guy, and I think for the first time in a while, people looked at his defensive metrics and the fact that he played 140 to 155 games every year of a star-studded career, and he gets in. And and I think rock solid is the only word I can use to describe him. Superstar, no. Not hitting 343, but obviously he's a power hitter. Gold glove guy, all-star guy, good good deal. I think one guy that he's getting close to getting in is Todd Helton, the former Colorado Rocky. Um, people, I think, evaluated, went back and looked at the statistical splits of his career. I mentioned Colorado Rockies. You say home run derby, mm. Coors Field, mile <laughs> high altitude, bogus statistics. But when you go back and look at Todd Helton's career statistics— they're almost even Steven, batting average Denver, batting average rest of the National League, home runs Colorado, home runs all the other ballparks. That's why I think he took a huge run. You know, he's a 316 hitter, 368 career home runs. Uh, I think he probably gets in next season, and rightfully so. Billy Wagner's knocking at the door, 68%. Uh, so he needs, you know, another 15 votes or so. Uh, he was a different closer than Trevor Hoffman of 500 save fame, Mariano Rivera beyond that. Billy Wagner, 422 career saves, but he was a two-winning reliever closer mm-hmm. with the Phillies and other teams. Uh, I don't know whether he can jump that line and get to 75%, but he's, he's close. Andrew Jones' numbers have gone up, power hitter, Atlanta Braves. Gary Sheffield, to me, is getting snubbed. 509 career home runs. And nowhere's near to being a Hall of Famer, John. 55% vote. It's almost as if he's a 292 hitter with 509 home runs. It's like he's being penalized because his career was 22 years long. Well, why, why would you penalize him for being that great for that long? I'm surprised at, at, at where he is at 55%. Uh, Jeff Kent falls off off the ballot. He this was his tenth and final year. He'll get consideration now uh, by the next committee. And then there's Alex Rodriguez. I think A Rod. I think Barry Bonds. I think Roger Clemens. I think Rafael Palmeiro and Sammy Sosa. I think Cheat. That's why he only got thirty five percent. Six hundred ninety six career home runs. Two ninety two lifetime batting average. Thirty five percent of the vote. Because unlike Bonds and Clemens, he got suspended by Major League Baseball mm-hmm. for a full calendar year. And I watch him do his stuff on TV, and he's pretty decent at what he does on TV. But I look at him and I see, in my heart, a rod, a fraud, a liar. He wouldn't get my vote. Didn't get a lot of votes, 35%. 
Go ahead. Throw me a curveball, fastball. Bring the, bring the heat, meat. Well, A-Rod, a- yeah, I'm with you. I don't think he deserves to be in because of the scandals. And you say Jeff Kent's fallen off the list. I mean, Jeff Kent fell off his truck when he was washing it and broke his arm or wherever, you know. So um, these, some of these guys are interesting characters. I'm with you. I think Sheffield is getting snubbed. I mean, that dude is legit. And remember, he came here and played in San Diego for just one year, and he was terrific. And his career even went further when he was with the Marlins. Um, but back to Scott Rowland, you know, I guess I just didn't appreciate him when he was playing. I, he was an all-star. He was really good. But you always thought, is he Hall of Fame good? Or is he like a Don Sutton type that's just a solid for a long period of time? But then I saw the numbers for the first 11 years of Roland's career compared to the first 11 years of Machado's career. Roland's numbers are better than Manny Machado. And I'm like, wow, okay, this guy deserves to get in. You know, I think there's an age-old argument. Should Cooperstown be for just the greatest of all time, or does it include very good players too? I view Roland as being very good, but greatest? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. You know, he's had, he did have a great career. I think he is deserving. I think the Hall of Fame, you've got to ask yourself, what does it represent? You know, is it the great players, the good players? I think you have to have the collection of players in there that tell the story and the history of the game. And some of those players are going to be at the elite level, and some of them might be a notch or two below. Um, I still think it's a travesty that Pete Rose isn't in. If I were in charge, I would make I would allow him in. And I know that's controversial, but I think he should be in. Because um, he, if, if for nothing else, he is a key part of history. And I think you, you put him in and you tell the story accurately. Well, then, if you can do that, then you maybe you have to do that for Joe Jackson back in the day, the Black Sox and all that. Maybe mm-hmm. we do that, then we're going to do what Bud Black said, the Padre manager and the Rockies manager and the longtime Angels coach. Bud Black said, put an asterisk next on the plaque. So when you read it and you see that star, you'll understand there's a sidebar story there. But that's another argument for another time <laughs> in the offseason. Okay. Let's talk about what's gone on up the road at Angel Stadium. Boy, this is kind of different. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, too, because the, the Angels were for sale. Maybe they're not for sale now. And now everyone's wondering, is Otani potentially on the trade block? Artie Moreno, out of the clear blue sky, announces he's keeping the franchise. There were five bidders reportedly in excess of $2.5 billion, which would be a Major League Baseball record. He's elected to keep the team. He does not grant interviews. He's not talked to anybody in, in, in the media in at least two full years. Uh, I think he has tried very hard to be a very good owner. You know, they've gone through renovations at Anaheim Stadium. He has spent an enormous amount of money, wasted an enormous amount of money. Uh, they will have the highest budget they've ever had in Angel history at $288 million. Uh, I think he was terribly, terribly stung by the drug scandal and, and the death of Tyler Skaggs. Uh, his organizations being sued that they did not do enough uh, with Eric Kay, the public relations director who's actually dealing drugs to players. Uh, he's He's been confronted and heavily criticized for being so impulsive. Uh, why would you give that kind of money to Josh Hamilton? Why would you do that with Justin Upton? Why did you take on Vernon Wells or Melvin Upton? I mean, he's pissed away an enormous amount of money. He's an impulsive guy that wants to sign the shiny name out there. Uh, minor league farm system has fallen into disrepair. 
Uh, there were a lot of fingers pointed at the Angels organization that you don't treat your minor leaguers well, that these guys are living in poverty and in Class A ball and Double A haven't done anything for them. Uh, there's a there's an issue with the Hispanic broadcasters in a heavy Hispanic marketplace that is Orange County, and the fact that he's not hired the right general manager, and then he steps on the general manager's toes and say, "I want this done, that done." So Artie, Artie came away really beat up, but now he's decided to come back. So I would I would hope multiple things. I mean, the fact that he's committed all the money. The fact that they're signing all their draft picks, they have to take the next step. They, they've got to get active again in the international field where Otani came from. Uh, but they, they've brought a lot onto the roster. I think they're making a real concerted effort to show Otani we're going to be a good franchise this year if we can stay healthy. And I think what Artie has to do is evaluate whether or not he's got the right team president there overseeing baseball. Because a lot of people don't think John Carpino's qualified that he was, he was an advertising executive guy that worked for Artie. That's a big issue. He's gone through a lot of general managers. Is this guy uh, the right general manager that they've got right now, uh, Perry Manasian? Uh, and, you know, thirdly, can they sign Otani? I think if they have a good season and they lay the state-of-the-art figure on the table for Otani, he stays, and then they're off to the races. Artie wants to build a new stadium, and twice he's had what he thought were stadium deals fall apart because of politics uh, in the city of Anaheim or corruption, if you will. I think I'm in the minority. I think he's done a lot of positive things, but obviously there's things he's made really bad mistakes on. So this goes forward, and he'll be the guy when they go to spring training in two weeks, and he'll be down there wearing his Red Angel jacket. He's a huge baseball man, baseball fan, and a very successful businessman outside of baseball. But did they say why he put the team up for sale and now why he changed his mind? I think he was so betrayed by the whole drug scandal and the Tyler Skaggs death and then the follow-up lawsuit and condemnation of his organization that he said, enough is enough. You know, that plus the constant losing and the failure to make the playoffs, and they haven't won a playoff game since, I don't know, 2009. There, there's just lots of reasons. I, I, it wasn't fun anymore. I mean, I've interviewed him. I've met him. He's a pretty strong-willed guy. He's been very successful, but he's not been successful in the big picture of this thing. But, and it wasn't, it wasn't money. Two, you know, he only paid $184 million for the franchise. Wow. He turned down $2.5 billion and more. Incredible. So there's still stuff I think he wants to do in that community. I hope he had solved the Hispanic issue because uh, I think that is that is still really out there. Uh, and speaking of uh, controversial news, let's talk about San Diego Padre baseball. <laughs> this news is so disturbing. When we when we discovered this about Mike Clevenger and the rumors were just just awful. Well, we don't know it's fact or fiction. His personal lawyer uh, is emphatically denying that Clevenger was involved in this issue. This is obviously a he said she said thing over a breakup of a relationship. Uh, his. The mother of his 10-month-old girl, I'm led to believe they're no longer together, has made all these accusations of domestic abuse last summer on road trips that the Padres took while Clevenger was pitching for the Padres. At first glance, it's really hideous. She alleged choking. She alleged he threw chewing tobacco at the 10-month-old infant. Lawyer emphatically denies that happened. 
Uh, he's a free spirit. He's really different. Um, he ran with Trevor Bauer in Cleveland. They mm-hmm. are still friends. That's a big issue. Uh, I'm not going to make a judgment because I don't have all the facts at this point in time. I would hope that when we get to the end of the road on the story, uh, we'll find out maybe it didn't happen. Maybe it, maybe it is a separation issue. Maybe it's a money issue to go away. I would hope, though, that we don't find out that the Padres were aware of this and let him pitch in the pennant race at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But at this point, the Padres only made the statement, we support MLB's investigation, did not make any statement of what they knew and when they knew it yet. So only time will tell. But he's he's a White Sox player, and now it's a White Sox issue. And they said they had no knowledge whatsoever, kind of like the Dodgers had no knowledge of all the junk that Trevor Bauer got involved in before Trevor Bauer moved to Los Angeles. And I'm a little bit alarmed that Clevenger and Bauer run together. That's a big issue. Yeah. I mean, it's disappointing, but it, it seems so out of character for everything we know about Mike Clevenger. Or what he tells you, what, you, what you're allowed to see. But. Yeah. But, but even what we see, he's, he's chill, he's cool, he's, mis- he's sunshine, you know, so you don't really expect that from him. I mean, Bauer is a different case. Bauer is in your face. He's brash. He likes to stir the pot. So when you find the news about Bauer, you, you, you tend to believe it. But with this no- news about Clevenger, it was like, Wow, really? So I hope it's not true, but let's hopefully justice, you know, you know, gets to a conclusion. No sunshine right now. A lot of a lot of dark clouds around my Clevenger. We see where it goes. Uh, let's go on. Let's talk some NBA basketball. This is unique. Yeah, this is we've been talking about the trades. The Lakers have been entertaining and they made a trade, but not the guys that we expected. Well, Russell Westbrook is still in L.A. and they're still running uphill trying to make the playoffs and they got half a season to get there. And it's going to be a huge challenge unless they can keep Anthony Davis and LeBron James on the floor. But they make the trade, but it didn't involve Westbrook. It didn't involve the Lakers number one picks. The Lakers traded young guard Kendrick Nunn and three second-round draft picks way down the road to the Washington Wizards who are trying to move things around on a salary cap move for Rui Hichimura, power forward, shooting forward, running athlete forward, former Gonzaga star. Uh, He's averaging 14 points a game uh, for the Washington Wizards coming off the bench. So Hichimura comes in. He gives the Lakers really what they need is another wing player who can drill it on the other side. Uh, and he's a great athlete when he gets out onto the open court. Now, he doesn't play much defense, and they're going to have to have to deal that. So they get themselves a really young player, and that's the kind of foundation you want. And they still have the number one picks. And Rob Polenka said on Wednesday, we're not trading those number ones unless that deal would put us into the championship conversation. Well, they're ways away from being a championship team. But when you can get somebody that's 24 who's already proven he can play at least at the offensive end and play pretty consistently – I'll take 14 points a game. Yeah, I mean, for the Lakers, it looks like a nice move forward. For the Wizards, it's a curious deal because this is a, a contributor. I mean, this is a, the Wizards are kind of in the tank. And number two is down the road. I mean, that's just, it's so nebulous. But you going back to the Lakers, did you see that there was video online and social media of LeBron, you know, sitting on the bench while the game was going on with an ice pack on his knee? And he just looks so disconnected from everything that's going on around him. So you kind of wonder about LeBron James. 
and you know where his passion is, where his heart is. Can he lead these Lakers to a championship? Is there still gas in the tank, John? The guy's averaging 36 points a game since New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. 36. He's doing it by himself. He can't, I don't think anybody can question LeBron and his approach to the game. I mean, he's playing with such passion and he's doing it by himself. Yeah. You know, they, they had a, a game two nights ago. Their guards collectively went eight for 30. Not him, but everybody else. Eight for 30 and no Anthony Davis. We're, we're, we're his teammates in this equation. So I, I, I think he's phenomenal. And is he frustrated? Yeah. yeah. Is he worn out? Yeah. Yeah. But maybe now that Anthony Davis has come back and Davis came back off this foot fracture bone spur issue and went 21-12 in 20 minutes in his first game back, if they can keep AD on the floor with LeBron and you still got Westbrook, uh, and then I don't know whether they're going to keep – Patrick Beverly, or they're going to keep these other guys. Now you get Ed Hichimura here, so maybe that maybe they'll be better. I don't know if they're a playoff team yet. They got they got a huge hill that they got to run up. All right, let's go from basketball. This is the strangest story I've seen in the National Hockey League. Uh, Vancouver fires its coach who got them into the playoffs when he was hired midseason last year. His name is Bruce Boudreau, former former head coach uh, around the league, uh, 50-year lifer in, in hockey. Really neat gentleman. And bad situation in Vancouver. Uh, a lot of young guys, ill-fitting roster, salary cap problems in the NHL. Uh, they're not done. I think they're going to blow the roster up pretty quickly. But they let him hang out there. This this story had gone on for a better part of a month. Does Bruce Boudreaux keep his job? Are they going to hit the eject button? Who are they going to go get? What are they going to do with a roster where these guys are making enormous amounts of money and underachieving? They have a, a soon-to-be free agent, their leading scorer, Bo Horvat, that, that they don't think they can pay $10 million a year to keep him. Is he going to be traded? Uh, they got terrible injuries. Thatcher Demko, the San Diego kid, has not played in months because of a, a significant quad injury. Weirdest thing I've seen in hockey. Usually, when your team has gone into the dumper, the fans are brutal. And the fans in Vancouver are no different than Toronto or Montreal or these other NHL hotspots. They can be vicious. They supported Bruce Boudreaux. They knew what was going on. They knew that things didn't fit. They knew there were salary cap problems that past management had made mistakes on. Well, Bruce Boudreaux, prior to his last game on Tuesday, held a media briefing and was just bombarded by questions, got very emotional, said how he loved coaching players, loved loved being in the room, loved game night, enjoyed what he did with the Canucks last year when he came in midseason and drove him to the playoffs and all that. Anyhow, he was well-received by the fans after that press briefing. So at the end of the game, they lost at home. He's coming off the ice. The fans, and Vancouver averages 17,000, 18,000 a game, gave him a standing ovation. Nice. They knew he was going to get fired. He knew he was going to get fired. Gave him a standing ovation. Next home game, they hired Rick Tockett, longtime NHL player. Mm-hmm. Has not done well as a head coach in Arizona or Tampa. Pre-game introductions, they go through the starting five, and please welcome Vancouver's new head coach, Rick Tockett. Fan stands up by the bench, takes off his $150 Vancouver jersey, 
and throws it on the ice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> to protest how they treated Boudreaux mm-hmm. and, and talk it. So time will tell. NHL trading deadline is coming up. A lot of criticism of a great veteran leader and Jim Rutherford, the president of the team, for why would you treat this guy this way? He inherited this mess, tried to fix it, did fix it last year, hasn't worked this year. But why'd you let him hang out there for so long? So that's a long story, but... It's worth telling for the hockey fans on our live stream. Well, I enjoy hearing the stories because admittedly, I'm not a hockey guy, you know, being in California my whole life. But uh, it it is interesting to see how the fans just loved him. And, you know, while we were, you know, preparing for this podcast, I saw all these photos of people in the stands behind the bench, you know, with signs up, just expressing their love for this man. Um, And then, you know, the owners come in, they got to find a scapegoat. And this guy's now out on the street. And now, you know, the Canucks are getting 17,000 in the arena. You know, I think they're going to have less people showing up because they're getting frustrated with the owner. Now we'll see if Taka can fix it, but there has been dysfunction there in Vancouver. Let's go from there. Let's go play golf. Let's go to Torrey Pines. Let's talk about the Farmers Open. Yeah, this is always a fantastic tournament, and the weather is clear. It's another Chamber of Commerce event for San Diego. Uh, They're in the middle of uh, the Farmers Open, Torrey Pines. And there's not a lot of big names there because so many names have defected to go to the LIV, the Saudi Super League. Uh, John Rahm, who's had a fabulous start, is there. Uh, but there's not a lot of big names. There is no Tiger Woods, who's facing retirement. There is no Mickelson. There is no Dustin Johnson. There is no Cameron Smith, who stole Thunder last year. So it's just a really different feel out at Torrey Pines. The, the bigger question, there's been no resolution to this war between the PGA and the LIV. And, it you know, it, it just begs the question, what's going to happen to the future of golf? It, it, it's still chaotic. Will the PGA Tour be worth watching if you can't identify with anybody here? Or will they develop their own stars led mm-hmm. by Xander Shoffley? Will anybody watch the LIV if they're playing abroad? And there's a whole bunch of angles and stories to that. Uh, In terms of the LIV, big issue as Torrey Pines is underway. Uh, Nick Faldo dropped a bomb on the LIV today. Uh, Nick Faldo's been very open and very, very, very outspoken about what these guys did to the PGA Tour after what the PGA Tour helped them become superstars making a lot of money. And he says the Ryder Cup will never admit any LIV player to play in the Ryder Cup, which is a huge in-season event. Mm -hmm. He also indicated that for all the things Greg Norman did as a great golfer, and he was a great personality, that Greg Norman has destroyed his reputation by what he has done. And Nick Faldo's of the opinion uh, that the LIV tour means absolutely nothing because nobody's going to watch it. Nobody's going to go see it. Now we find out their new TV contract on CW, and you can watch it when they they televise it in San Diego on CW6. They're not going to televise the first round of any LIV thing. You can watch it on your app, but can't watch it on live TV. And we find out that LIV is buying the time, that there was no bidding, that that CW6 didn't pay a big rights fee for this to happen. And to top everything else off, they just pulled their $50 million team championship event, the final event of the year. They pulled it from Trump's Doral course in Miami, and they're taking it to Jihad, Saudi Arabia, so they're going to play there. So there we are. Do you think the PGA has less an event now 
because they've lost so many good players? Surprise, the Civil War is going on. What do you think about what Nick Faldo said? And what do you think of the LIV and Greg Norman? Yeah, th- this is, again, so disappointing how this is breaking out. I, I hope there's a solution where they can come together. Um, but you ran a poll on Twitter and you asked the fans what they thought. What, what were the numbers on, on that poll? Do you remember? Something like 85% will watch the PGA because that's where stars are born and 15% are watching the guys that defected. Hmm. And there's a side story also about relationships. I don't know if you've heard about this. Some of the big name guys like Rory McIlroy and then a few others are playing in Dubai this week. Patrick Reed from the LIV is playing in that tournament. Reed on the practice screen tried to go over and shake Rory McIlroy's hand. And McIlroy turned and walked away from him. Oh. Now, Patrick Reed is suing everybody on the PGA Tour. PGA, suing McElroy, et cetera, oh, for slander goodness. and all this. And Rory, Rory was asked at the press briefing after the practice round, uh, why didn't you not want to shake his hand? He said, Patrick Reed's lawyers served me a notice of a lawsuit on Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve with really? my family. Knock, knock. Doors open. Here's the paper. You're served. Really? So Rory McIlroy says, I'm going to be friends with him now? No, I don't think so. Yeah. You made your bed, you lay in it, et cetera. cetera. Sidebar stories everywhere, but this thing is is far from resolved. I think the big picture question, it's even a topic of conversation out of Torrey Pines. How badly damaged has the PGA Tour become because of all the defections? And do you care about the guys that went abroad? Yeah, it's, it's incredible how this is all playing out. I'll just tell you what, this weekend, I'm going to enjoy watching Torrey Pines on television. You know, I know they adjusted the schedule to accommodate the NFL, yes. right? So the finals are going to be on, or the fourth round is going to be on Saturday. Saturday. So um, I'll definitely be watching. I'll be rooting for Xander Shoffley. You know, our local boy makes good. And let's see what happens. Okay, let's, one final topic on the table. Uh, hold on to the table. I'll, <laughs> I'll corner kick you a bunch of headlines. We're talking about USA soccer, and we're talking about the English Premier League, and then we're talking about other teams in town. Very briefly, if you're a soccer fan, these are the headlines. Utter chaos with Team USA. First, it was they got taken out in the World Cup after getting to the knockout round. Then it was the unfulfilled contract of Greg Berhalter. Then it was the Geo Reyna controversy with Reyna's family and Berhalter's situation. Then Brian McBride, the general manager, early this week, resigned. Now, today, Thursday, Ernie Stewart, the director of soccer operations, resigned to take an executive job in Netherlands where he played back in the day. So suddenly, Team USA, which has an assistant coach acting as an interim head coach and got beat by Serbia in their first friendly the other night, Team USA has no leadership. It's a drift out there. There is no Ernie Stewart, Brian McBride, nor Greg Berhalter. I don't understand this. They say Berhalter is still in the running. Why should he not be the head coach continuing on, despite this issue that he apologized for, got counseling for, that occurred in 1991? So that's a big storyline that all these people are drifting apart. And across the border, it's pretty bad, too. We talked about the mess in Mexico and the leadership and the politics and the agendas. Mexico's been fined $11,000 and forfeited two different tournaments they were in for illegally using the young forward Alexandra Zendejas. 
Mm. He's a Mexican-American who could play on either side. They used him without doing the proper paperwork to commit him to play in Mexico. They used him in a game. So the governing body, CONCACAF, has unloaded on Mexico. And Mexico doesn't have a coach. And Mexico has got all types of player problems. So that, that story's out there. In the English Premier League, the last time this team got removed from the EPL was 1931. It's called relegation. There are 20 teams in the English Premier League. If you finish 20th, 19th, or 18th in the standings, or the table as they call it there, you're relegated out of that league. You go to a lower division, and they take three teams from the lower divisions at the best seasons. They're elevated up top. Everton has not been relegated out of the English Premier League since 1931, and right now they're in 19th place about to go down. They just fired um, their legendary, very popular head coach, Frank Lampard. So that's a big story. Chelsea, here comes the deal. Transfer window is open. Christian Pulisic, Team USA star, is going to be moved. We thought he was going to Newcastle United. Now he's hurt. He's going to be out another month with a sprained knee. Christian Pulisic is in the middle of negotiations to go to AC Milan to play in Italy All right on. in their elite league. Look for that deal to come down. Old stadiums, Manchester United. Mm-hmm. They play in a place called Old Trafford. Mm. Old Trafford has been operating since 1910. Man U has just announced they are funding construction of an 80,000-seat state-of-the-art new stadium outside of London there in Manchester, England, to replace Old Trafford. Uh, name it Joe Corona. You know this yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Played here. Uh, has played in, in uh, MLS. Has played in the uh, for the U.S. World Cup team. He played for Tijuana Cholos. Mm-hmm. Joe Corona is coming home. He's going to play for the San Diego Loyal, the Landon Donovan's team in the USL. And one other thing, they get virtually no pub at all. I don't understand it. they got great heritage, the San Diego Soccers. They are 8-0 and out of the gate. Uh, they have a 28-match regular season winning streak. Superb team, led by goal scorer Craig Childs and a whole group of young players. They kind of play in anonymity at the sports arena. They draw 1,700 fans per game, yet they are the legendary franchise. It dates all the way back to Ron Newman and, and the old... MISL, Major Indoor Soccer League, and and the success they had outdoors. So that's your soccer headlines. If you corner kick me a response, I'd appreciate hearing from you. But there's a lot of stuff out there. All right, I filled your bowl with all these stories. Give me a response. Well, just a couple of comments. First of all, um, the San Diego Soccers are definitely an underappreciated asset here in San Diego. They have an incredible record of championships. And in the early 80s, I used to go to a lot of the games at the sports arena, and they had Julie V, you know, and it was really dynamic, and they packed the sports arena sure. back, back in the day. So, you know, hopefully they can come along and, and develop. I think it, it's a, it's an exciting kind of a minor league sport in the world of pro sports in San Diego. I love how the English Premier League will demote teams to the second division and promote teams. That's an exciting way to manipulate the league that we don't see in other sports, but it's interesting. Um, and then finally, uh, as far as Team USA goes, they're adrift with leadership at the top. But, you know, Unu does a really good job covering them is Mark Ziegler from the Unu Tribune. Right. He's, he's a great writer. And he's often talked about how the leadership of the development program and all the youth leagues and how they prepare the young players to move on and to 
become uh, stars in the national uh, on the national team, that is also in chaos as well. So the U.S. national program, the Federation, has a lot of work to do. They do, and they've, they've got some real issues to decide because Burhalter has the backing of his players to come back, and only time will tell in the next month or so uh, as to whether they take care of Burhalter. And nobody's talking. Uh, about why Brian McBride exited. Nobody's talking about, was there a story behind the story with Ernie Stewart leaving Team USA to go back to Eindenhoven uh, in in the Netherlands. All right, it's time for Fans Forum. I just want to remind you two things. Uh, please subscribe so you get all the alerts. What we're doing with our podcast, we do a Thursday podcast. We do some bonus Monday podcast. We also put clips in. So please subscribe so you'll get the alerts when new information is available. And please check my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. I think you'll really like it. It's all written. We post it in the evening. It's there at night. It's there the following morning. All right, time for Fans Forum. Bing, bing, bing. Go ahead, John. Okay, so here's a good one. He says, and this is from Kyle JF. Do you think there is a chance... San Diego will pick up Trevor Bauer. Uh, don't have any more budget space, even though you could get him at the baseball minimum. Uh, I don't think they have any interest in taking on somebody so toxic. Uh, there's just such ill will in baseball being directed at this guy with his lifestyle choices. There has been no information at all, and we're just a couple of weeks out from spring training, Cactus League Grapefruit Circuit, no information at all that anybody's contacted him and offered him a contract to come pitch for them. Because whoever that owner is then has to answer the questions, why are you bringing this person based on what this person did? Even if he was never arrested or never indicted, it's still out there. Why would you deal with the guy? Maybe Trevor Bauer has to go to Korea. Maybe Trevor Bauer has to go to Japan and and pitch to regain his credibility. That, that kind of goes against what I'd said weeks ago, that I thought the Dodgers should have brought him back with a structure of restrictions and a structure of apologies and a structure of him giving money to charity. But that, that did not happen. I'll be intrigued because once the Dodgers get to Arizona uh, and Camelback Ranch, their management people are going to have to answer some questions about how they came to this decision and, and why. So I don't think Trevor Bauer is going to be a Padre ever. And at this point in time... I wonder if anybody else is going to touch him because he's kind of radioactive. Yeah, well, wait till we get into spring training, the early part of the season, when other pitchers have serious injuries and are out for the year, and then some of these teams will have to make some desperate choices. But, John, how do you, <laughs> as a general manager, explain to me or all these people on our live stream who are season ticket old, how do you rationalize you bringing him to this team? I mean, you just have to it, – it just – it, it's a, it would be a terrible situation to defend. I mean, it's impossible to defend. Well, then you're the general manager. Why did you make that decision? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Yeah, so I, I don't know. I just think there's going to be some team that's going to take a, a roll of the dice with this guy because it's so cheap, and they're going to have a desperate need for pitching, and it's definitely not going to be the Padres. Okay, we move on. Next question. John and I disagree for sure. Okay, so this is uh, from David Andrews. He says, Lee, could you get Bill Wardell on your show? We would like to. Uh, Philly Billy is uh, outside of Philadelphia, does a one-hour interview show every day on a small station. I talk to him all the time. But you have to understand this. Philly Billy's life stopped in 1987. Technology. (laughs) He's going to get upset that I told this story. Philly Billy does not have a laptop, does not use computers, and does not use email. 
The only way I talk to him is by virtue of this when we call and say hi to each other. <laughs> so he's a little bit behind the power curve in technology. Okay. But he's having fun. He's just he's just a great guy. He's one of the most unique guys that I ever met, and that's why I recommended they bring him out here. And he stayed here and had a great run with Steve Hartman as part of the Loose Cannons uh, on 6 9 <laughs> 10 90. But uh, he probably won't say this, but he probably in his family room, has a black and white TV rather than a color TV because his technology, I think, stopped in 1987. Right, he's got the rotary <laughs> dial. I mean, oh yeah, I, yeah. I mean, Billy, uh, Philly Billy is great. I mean, I, I'd love to get him on. We need, we need to send him a computer, get him in on a Zoom call, <laughs> and and bring him into the podcast. It'd be a lot of fun. I asked him, do you know, what do you think about Zoom? He thought I was talking about some type of hot chocolate. <laughs> a little bit behind the power curve. On we go. On we go. So. Uh, Let's go here, and we've got some uh, YouTube comments, and here's one right here. And this is from Fat Albert. He says, I watched a couple of the Bengals games late this season, and I think Burrow is a genuine star. He sent Tom and the Bucks packing after spotting them 24 points. Well, Joe Burrow, if they can keep him healthy, and he's taken an enormous amount of sacks in three years, and he did have a major knee injury. Joe Burrow is just a really smart dude. I mean, his ability to process information at the line of scrimmage in what we call pre-snap reads is phenomenal. And because the Bengals were bad for so long, John, they stockpiled a lot of draft picks. And I'm not a a fan of Mike Brown, the owner, the son of the iconic Paul Brown, because I think he's been a poor football owner, a cheap owner. But he's got some front office people there that have done a really good job constructing the roster. That being said, when you're drafting as high as they're drafting, you should be able to get marquee blue chips. Now, the question is, with Joe Burrow's contract coming up, how much bank is it going to take to get him to stay and not go on the open market? Is Mike Brown, who's raking in Boku Bucks, Mike Brown going to be willing to pay Joe Burrow $40 million per year as a star quarterback in the league? So... That story's still to be told, but they're the real deal. And oh, this game's Sunday. Joe Cool versus Do Everything Mahomes. That's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a great weekend for, for these two championship series. But I saw a clip of the Rich Eisen show, and uh, they, they asked, I guess, one of the family members, like, when did you know that Joe Burrow had the it factor? And they said when he was eight years old, playing this first time playing organized football, he was a quarterback. And as an eight-year-old, he called an audible on the line and that <laughs> led his little team down for a, a big, like, 75-yard you know, play for a touchdown. Well, Joe Burrow's dad, longtime college football coach, defensive coordinator, my alma mater, Ohio University, worked for Frank Solich for years. Hey. And when Frank retired, Joe's dad elected to retire too. He grew up in a football structured environment in Appalachia. And the best thing about Joe Burrow is the person if if you remember, or maybe you didn't see it, when he accepted the Heisman Trophy. He talked about growing up in Appalachia, Ohio University is in a small town southeast of Columbus near the West Virginia border. Poverty. Mm -hmm. Poverty capital of America, Appalachia is. And he talked about the food bank. And he was donating or was going to donate a huge amount of his signing bonus money to the Athens County Food Bank with services. All these poor people uh, in like five counties in Appalachia. And they wound up raising over $7 million like within two weeks' time because suddenly everybody was donating 
to the Athens County Food Bank. And this kid has gone home in the offseason, and he's made donations to Athens High School, where he played and starred. His family still lives there at the border of Appalachia. He's done so many community things. He's just, as you say, Joe Cool. Yeah, I mean, how many great quarterbacks have come out of that region of America? Well, you got Appalachia and you got Western Pennsylvania, which is really the, the capital of great quarterbacks, mm-hmm. Dan Marino to Joe Montana and a whole pile of other people in between. Yeah, really interesting. So this, I mean, I'm loving everything about Joe Burrow. I mean, he's a great guy to root for. Joe Cool. All right, let's move on. we got a couple more comments from the YouTube channel. This is from T. Duck. He says, simple, Chargers should trade Herbert for a third round draft choice. Try again. Rivers was a bust, too. Boy, there's no accounting for bad taste, is there? <laughs> T Duck, where are you calling from? I guess we're we're allowed. You're you're allowed to watch live stream out there in left field. What do you mean Philip Rivers was a bust? The organization did not do the job around him, but Philip Rivers might be a Hall of Famer. And trade Justin Herbert? No, 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 no. Uh, we may just take your computer out of left field, not let you do that. But Justin Herbert's a superstar. And, and as John and I alluded to right at the beginning of our podcast, we're going through a changing of the guard. Mm-hmm. I mean, the four quarterbacks that are playing right this weekend, that's the future. And Justin Herbert is part of that future. Uh, so, no, there's there's nothing wrong with Justin Herbert. It's just what's not around him. And what the coach didn't get done and the injury factors, just a lot of things that are all interrelated as to why the Chargers are not playing. You're disappointed. I'm disappointed. But there's next year. It's really hard to be a Charger fan. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, for now and going back in history, there's been so much frustration. But yeah, Herbert, you got to build around the guy. I mean, he's he's a star. So we got one more on the YouTube uh, comments here for you, Lee. And this is from Sam McBride. And this is in comments to the whole robo-umps idea, you know, with the calling the balls and strikes. He says, I've been fed up with MLB umpires for years and years. I'm willing to try something new. <laughs> they can always switch back to the old way if it doesn't work. Well, you are correct. Home plate just keeps seat moving from umpire to umpire. It keeps moving from the first inning to the third inning to the seventh inning. Uh, I don't know why baseball can't do a better job in terms of recruiting umpires and teaching them the strike zone. Now, it's complicated because you got guys like you, Darvish, that are so, throwing seven different pitches from five different arm slots, and you got guys that are throwing 101 mile an hour of gas with balls that dip and move. I, I think calling balls and strikes really hard. I don't know if the computerized robo-ump, the ABS system, automated ball strikes, is the answer. Maybe the ABS can be like instant replay, that the manager, Bob Melvin, has three challenges in his pocket. And I'll guarantee if the bases are loaded and it's a bad call at home plate, I'm invoking the challenge, use ABS, mm-hmm. to see whether that was a ball or strike. But do you want to remove the human element I think they need to improve the human element behind home plate. Uh, but they're going to try it in AAA. It worked in Class A, but that's Class A where I think it's a lot easier to determine balls and strikes. You're talking about wicked heat and gas and stuff that these guys bring bring when they throw it. I think it's a very hard game to, to umpire. Uh, but they got to do a better job with the umpires. It can't be any more, quote, Angel Hernandez's of the world maintaining their job. So I would use it only for challenges uh, if we get to Major League Baseball. But I think it's coming. Bud Black told me two years ago at Christmas, uh, I said, what's going to happen with it? He says, it's going to be here. 
Now, it's gonna, is it going to be here full force, or is it going to be here just for unique challenges? What would you do? You're a baseball fan. I saw you stand up behind home plate and shake your pondering cap <laughs> at Angel Hernandez on a couple of moving balls and strikes calls. Remember the World Series going back about 20 years ago, and remember Levon Hernandez? And I mean, he was throwing balls that were like 18 inches off the plate, and then he was getting strike calls, and it was just ridiculous. So some of these umpires are just wackadoodle. Um, so I love this idea of computerizing it and removing all of this subjectivity and making it objective. So the question is, is how is Major League Baseball going to do it? You know, the idea of a challenge, you know, they got the red flag like they do in the NFL, that could work. Um, but, you know, even going the full distance and having a, a the technology that calls every pitch a ball or a strike, I'm very open to that. Um, and I know we, as Padre fans, as baseball fans in general, we get so frustrated with the inconsistency, and I think this is something they should fix. Well, for the baseball fans, where, where baseball got this idea? Uh, this weekend on the Pro Tennis Tour, the Australian Open, they're going to the semifinals and the finals. If you watch... Just one match. Watch a couple of sets. You will see line calls that are decided by video replay. Was it on the line? They have the technology. Was it on the line? Did it touch the line? And that's that's the decision that is made when they use those challenges. That's where baseball got this idea from for ABS. Uh, but again, you're talking about pitchers with unbelievable velocity and balls that bite and jump, etc. So... Only time will tell. We'll see what AAA baseball is like. This is amongst the many rule changes that we talked about last week that Rob Manfred is imposing. Hey, listen, we thank you for being with us on our Thursday podcast. I will ask you to tweet, text, email all your fans. Tell them what we're doing with Hacksaw's Headlines podcast every Thursday and the bonus coverage on Monday. I also invite you to subscribe so you'll get the alerts when we're putting something up new. John... Great sports weekend. Enjoy NFL Sunday. We'll be back for bonus coverage on Monday. Have yourself a great time. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic weekend. Looking forward to it. And thanks for joining us again on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.